A very good morning to each one of us. Trust that uh, you are well, and if you are not, may the Lord undertake for you graciously. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for enabling us to participate in the activities we've participated in, the Bible study, the singing, the notices given to us, the children's ministry. We're grateful, our Father, for the prayer items raised to you. We thank you for the giving that we've given to you. Thank you, our Father, for the activities of worship that we have done. Grateful for each and everyone that has come. We pray for those not well in body that you will undertake for you. We pray also for one of the associates of this local church who has a bereavement. We do commend the family to you that you would undertake for them, that your grace would be sufficient. We ask now as we open the scriptures, explaining them and announcing the great news of our Savior in preaching, we do ask our Father that you grant us grace, both preacher and listener. We know that the evil one would want to distract us and focus on something else, either from outside or within, we plead that our Father would be disciplined to follow and even more so to apply your words to our hearts and in our lives. So grant that the preaching of your word will be done reverently and that it will be done, our Father, to the glory of your great name. We ask that you grant us this blessing we may benefit from the proclamation of your word. Hear us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The promised vision of God to the pure in heart. The promised vision of God to the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We observed by asking a question, what does it mean to be pure in heart? And we notice that this echoes Psalm 24, verse 3 to 6. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? Who has clean hands and a pure heart. We observe that the meaning of that statement has two nuances, moral purity, but also secondly, that this is an invitation for devotion to Christ, singleness of heart in our commitment to God. Purity is a single-mindedness in devotion to God, but purity as we understand it also is this moral pursuit in conformity to Christ. We considered by way of closing in observing what purity by listening to one of the writers on the same. Actions are the outward symbols or expressions of virtue and vice, not virtue and vice themselves. 
actions when separated from their motives are indifferent. Words like actions when separated from their motives are of no use. By purity implies the absence of moral grossness. Whatever is defiled is essentially repugnant to the spirit of purity. Purity is an active and vigorous disposition which incessantly promotes the soul in which it resides to the admirers but also to approve what is excellent. The question we closed with was are you sure you are pure in heart? Are you in the context of our theme pursuing a purity like that of Christ? Are you Christ-like individually so that it can therefore be said corporately we pursuing Christ-likeness by pursuing purity in our hearts. This morning, the second part of that verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Focusing on the promised blessing, seeing God for the pure in heart, Firstly, by making general observations on seeing God, and then by answering one question. I designed to answer three, but we'll close with one question and move on uh, to the next blessing. Let's reflect, therefore, on the general comments and lessons on seeing God in the scriptures. General comments and lessons on seeing God in the scriptures. We do know that the scriptures tell us no one can see God and be alive. So there is a seeing on God that human beings cannot do. There is a seeing of God which when human beings do, according to the scriptures, they would die. There are several passages in the Bible that even in the context of the Old Testament, even with that warning, that there are individuals that are said to have seen God. And there are anticipations and expectations of seeing God. In fact, the Old Testament as well counts seeing God as a blessing. And some of the passages are as follows. And all I'm stating by general comments and lessons on seeing God in the scriptures is notice firstly that seeing God is referred to elsewhere in the Bible other than in Matthew 5 verse 8. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament this reference to seeing God is indicated many places in the Bible. Genesis 32 verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. In other words, I am not dead. Is aware of that clause of scriptures that say, You see God, you're done. But Jacob tells us 
And in the language of the text plainly, before answering what does that mean, he says to us, I have seen God face to face and I'm not dead. So the reference of seeing God, we see it there in Genesis 32 verse 30. Judges verse 13, 22-23. Judges 13, 22-23. And the general statement I'm making is that seeing God is referred to elsewhere in the Bible. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, who would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. Now notice that these statements are being made when Christ has not come to earth. For us, it's very easy to say, okay, whatever they saw, whoever they saw, is obviously Christ manifested. They, they didn't have that knowledge. We do. And so when they say we've seen God, they have no one other than Yahweh himself. And in that context of the Old Testament, with much revelation, they make these statements. They'll not be able to say like us. When we say we see God, we mean Christ. They meant they saw God. That's what Jacob meant. That's what Manoah meant, and he's scared. And they, like we do, they know that God is spirit. You, you don't see spirit, but they still, they still say, see him, face to face, not dead. The other context, Manoah says, oh, we've seen him, we are done. Job 19. We read this one, verse 26. It's the emphasis Job makes. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. He's kind of saying, look, this is not to be spiritualized. This is not about in some transcendent or transcendental sphere, in some mystical existence. No, in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. And how my heart yearns for this reality. Psalm 11 verse 5 and 7. Psalm 11 verse 5 and 7. The Lord tests the righteous. But he so hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain cause on the wicked. Fire and south and the scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. John 3 verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears we'll be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Hebrews 12 verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
Revelation 22, verse 3 and 4. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Secondly, first observation by way of single is that the reference to this. Secondly, there are individuals in the Bible recorded as seeing God. Not only is there a reference and an anticipation and general statements, but there are individuals recorded as having seen God. Exodus 24, 9-11. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seven elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. Isaiah 6 verse 1 and 2. So we have here the named Moses, Aaron, Nedab, and Abihu, and 70, 74 in total, are recorded as having seen him, and they give us a description. But Isaiah 6, verse 1 and 2, in the year, of that, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. In that context, the scriptures state elsewhere the invisibility of God. He can be seen, he was seen, but he cannot be seen. Then Moses said, Exodus 33, 18, 23, Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord. In your presence I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, where my glory passes by. I'll put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. God is saying there is a part of me that can't be seen. You do that, you are done. John 1 verse 18 no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That's the Son's proclamation. No one has ever seen God. We have testimony in the Old Testament that some did. The Son is saying there is a scene that nobody can and does not. Only to the extent the Son reveals him. First John 4 verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In the context of don't lie to love each other, uh, 
pretend to love God but you hate one another well, no one has ever seen God from those passages of scripture a third observation general we learn from these two sets of passages that there is a seeing of God that which one that which one can experience and after which they will be dead there is an experience of seeing God which when done when one sees God they will be dead Manoah spared but he should have generally been dead fourthly as a general lesson we learn from these two sets of passages that there is a sin of God that saints have been exposed to without being killed and the sin of God promised in many portions of God's word that saints, that is Christians, God's children must long for. There is a sin of God that Old Testament saints as well as New Testament have been exposed to. And the sin of God that every Christian must be looking forward to. Number five, observational lessons on the text, on these passages. From these sets of passages we observe also that the vision of God is and must be the goal of the pure in heart. The sin of God must be the goal of the pure in heart. That is the climax of purity. It is seeing God. From these passages, the biblical promise, blessing as in our text, and the biblical anticipation of it, as Stott put it, one day to be able to appreciate the supreme vision, revelation of the unutterable or indescribable beautiful one in all his glory should be our yearning in the language of Job. Number six observation, we from the overall teaching of the scriptures, that all, we all must desire the true biblical vision of God. The sense of experiencing and that may be experienced not only in heaven, like the Old Testament were exposed to Christians that our desire is that there should be some level of seeing God in this life which must make us even more thirsty to long to see him in the time to come. And reflecting on Matthew 5 verse 8, that's the overall on the scriptures and we, we could do uh, do an exhaustive study. This is not designed to do that. The Bible doesn't state some people have seen God. The Bible doesn't state you see God, you are dead. The Bible states we must look forward to seeing God. And it's a privilege and a blessing for Christians to long to see Him. In our text, it's a promise, it's a blessing. It's an assurance, it's a state of the highest happiness anyone can ever have. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Quickly then, 
What does it mean to see God? In this blessing or promise, the pure in heart, what does it mean to see God? In this beatitude, to the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Somebody has stated, is without a doubt the most comprehensive of all the blessings. Just as being pure in heart is the most comprehensive requirement of a believer's life, nothing but the sight of God will satisfy the longings of the disciple's heart. Nothing short of the sight of God will be satisfying to the followers of Christ. Four senses of what is meant by seeing God. Four senses of what is meant by seeing God. I need to state that the first one is disputed and is disputed regarding your eschatology. Uh, the understanding of how Christ will come has affected how people interpret the first understanding of seeing God. The first is this. It is a literal seeing God. It is a literally seeing God with the senses of the eyes. The first sense is literally we shall see God. That is obvious in this sense that we shall see God with our eyes. And very quickly we must point out we shall see God the Son. We shall see God the Son in this sense literally physically. In this sense, we will not see the Father, nor the Holy Spirit. They are invisible. They are spirit in that sense. God, head, the three persons, only one has chosen to reveal himself in human nature. And it is argued he went and he appears how he is in heaven in that state we don't know. But we know that he shall come in the same way he went to heaven. And he shall tabernacle among us. We shall see him. Literally. Glorified eyes. Glorified bodies. Christ in his glory we will see him. The pure in heart shall see God in Christ. God incarnate with the eyes of their bodies. 1 John 3 verse 2 Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet been has not yet appeared. What we will be literally has not come yet. But we know that when he appears literally we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will see God the Son in glory. He is going to be the illumination of the place where we will be. For that reason we will need no sun. 
is going to tabernacle among us. We will see the marks on his hands. We will see that this Christ is the one that suffered for us. That's the first sense. Even if these other senses are not there, to simply long to see the Savior, to be with Christ, to have fellowship with Him, to be able to behold Him, to look at Him and admire His beauty, His compassion and His love, to see His glory as it be revealed to us, as permissible by God to us, as fitting our beholding Him, that is sufficient excitement to long to see. We read of Him having come. Not all Old Testament saw Him, only those who lived in the New Testament saw Him. All of us who live today after Christ went back, we never saw him in that physical sense. We, we have here heard of this kind of visions of Christ. One came in Kenya. That's the wrong one. We will see Christ. Face. Face. Oh, by the way, not the one that we see drawn on pictures. That, that's not Christ. Uh, that's a picture. Please burn it and forget it. We will see him. Then we'll be able to see. This is how actually he looks like. We will see him. We saw with no beard. We will see him. And here is the imperative. That which is essential. If you have any hope of seeing him in that glory, pursue Christ-likeness. Pursue purity of heart. I must quickly point out here that there is a sense in which every human being will see him, but not in glory. Revelation tells us some will see him in judgment. You don't want to long for that seeing of Christ. Secondly, what is the second sense of what it means to see God? It is the sense, for example, depicted in scriptures such as 1 Kings chapter 10 verse 8 and Esther chapter 1 verse 14. Please do turn to 1 Kings. I will not be reading Esther, but 1 Kings. And I'm saying it's the scene in that sense we will see God in the sense recorded for us as an example of seeing kings in 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10 verse 8. Let's pick up reading from verse 6. We read in 1 Kings 10 Verse 6, and she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the report until I came, and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me, 
your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Verse 8. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. The statement used to continually stand is the statement to continually see. Continually stand, continually behold in your presence. And the sense communicated in these passages, including Esther 1 verse 14, according to the Eastern culture, is that of a great good fortune, favor in being an intimate friend of a king. That when it is said of a people, they saw, they see, the sense is that they are in intimate fellowship. They are highly favored with this good fortune of being in the king's presence and the language used is that they see the king all the days of their lives. One commentator, specifically Barnes, has put it this way. In this place, that is, in First Kings, Esther, and Revelation 22, and combining those, he puts it this way. In this place, it, that is seeing God, is spoken of as a special favor. Like in the context of Revelation 22, verse 1 to 5 and verse 4, you read, and they shall see his face. To see the face of one, or to be in the presence of anyone, were terms among the Jews expressive of great favor. It was regarded as a high honor to be in the presence of kings and princes, and to be permitted to see them. For example, Proverbs 22, verse 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. He will see. 2 Kings 25, 19. And out of the city hath taken a certain eunuch, and I'm reading from Young's literal version, who is appointed over the men of war, and five men of those seeing the king's face, who have been found in the city, and the head scribe of the host, who mastereth the people of the land, and sixty men of the people of the land who are found in the city. These sixty men who are those seeing the king's face are represented as seeing the king's face because they are depicted, they are being shown to us as men who are, who are highly favored. Second Kings 25 verse 19, And out of the city he has taken a certain eunuch who is appointed over the men of war, and the five men of those seeing the king's face. Five of those are highly favored. By those seeing the king's face is meant those who are his favorites and friends. The expression observed shuns has its origin in the ways of Eastern monarchs who rarely show themselves in public. I know one king, I know one, uh, we can find out here, 
who rarely comes out in public. I'm not sure why. So that only the most intimate circle behave the royal countenance. The pure have access to that all inaccessible. The king of the roses is, is rarely seen. It's not like lumber chiefs. Just go to the palace. No, 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 no. This one, you don't see him. When, when it is seeing him, it's a special occasion. Kuomboka. That's when you see him. That's the sense. That you see the Litunga is a great privilege. That even the losses, they don't just go there and say, where is he? Tell Andrew and they will, you will tell you. you. You have no such privilege. Except some of us, we do. <laughs> That's the sense we have here. That this sin is getting to be in the presence as the favored of God. The privileged of God. The favorites. In the language of the scriptures, the very apple of his eyes. We are his favorites, the saved. We have special favors, and it includes this intimate fellowship with this great God that Job is able to say, this favor I know is mine. In my flesh I will see him. Not another, I myself. And he's using these words when he's going through a difficult time. He's using them as a source of comfort. This time will come. It appears like I'm not favored. It appears like God has turned his back on me. It appears like God is angry with me that there is going to be a time when I know I will have no mistaken notions Abaro is favoring me. He's showing me his goodness and kindness. His loving fellowship. I will see him. So when we read in Matthew 5, verse 8, pure in heart, we will see God. They will enjoy this glorious, favored position. But in our time, is only being enjoyed by those angels who minister before his presence day and night. That shall be our eternal experience. Therefore, with the history of interpretation on our side, even though men like Myers disagree, we can with many say that one of the meanings of to see God is to be his friends and favorites and to dwell with him in his kingdom. Our forefathers enjoyed this in the garden. This glorious fellowship. Thirdly, to see God is a reference to an inward perception, an inward awareness of God. Knowledge becoming conscious of God, inmost fellowship with God. It means, in the words of duety, spiritual fellowship with God here on earth and there in heaven. When we ask, as others have done, does the promise in Matthew 5 verse 8 
find its fulfillment only in the beatific that is in the blissful or heavenly vision of the saints in glory? Is that the only place people see God? Is it not experienced in this life in a qualified sense? Our answer should as those of old be. Doubtless there in heaven we will see him. But there only will be the full fruition which now we wait for. But purity of heart, so far as it exists, brings with it the power of seeing more than others see in all through which God reveals himself. The beauty of nature, the inward light, the moral order of the world, the written word, the life and the teaching of Christ are all a revelation of God. And that we see. Benson writes, they shall see God, namely, in the glass of his works, whether of creation, providence, of grace, here and face to face hereafter. They shall fellowship with him in his ordinances. When he says they, he means the pure in heart. They shall endure as seeing him that is invisible, while they walk by faith on earth. And they shall be admitted to the most perfect vision and complete enjoyment of him in heaven. Fawcett observed, the conscious thus purged, the heart thus sprinkled, there is light within wherewith to see God. John Gill, a Baptist minister who lived in 1697 to 1771, biblical scholar and theologian who held to a firm particular soteriology or of salvation, mastered Latin and Greek at age 11, commenting on this verse writes, they shall see God in this life, enjoying communion with him, both in private and public, in the several duties of religion, in the house and ordinances of God, where they often behold his beauty, see his power and his glory, and taste and know that he is good and gracious. So when we ask, is seeing God only for the future? or for the select few in the scriptures, we answer with one contemporary preacher, the Christian life is not just a pie in the sky, it is pie in my hand right now. If we live with a pure heart, a life that is morally pleasing to God, and fully devoted to him, will enjoy God's presence in our, right, in our life, right here. And that is referred to our single. In Matthew 5 verse 8, Peter puts it this way. Peter the Apostle, though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an expressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your salvation, the salvation of your souls. My ears had heard. This is Job's account. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. David experienced God's presence in this life. How priceless is your unfailing love, both high and low among men. Find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast 
on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. The greatest blessing, the noblest goal of the Christian life is to know God. The language of Matthew 5 verse 8, to see God. To experience his presence in our daily life and to live for his glory. Paul made this his goal for his life as he said, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering becoming like him in death. If we have this goal for our life, the outcome will be a daily walk with God that delights in God, blesses God, and fills all the passions of life with this desire. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We can go further and say, they see God. They experience the goodness of God. God is a reality. God is real. God is not just some idea. God is not some kind of illusion. Is not ghost. Is real. And if you are a Christian, is real. Is not just some report you must get. Fellowship with Him is reality. This is not some high Pentecostal charismatic biblical theology. This is Christian biblical theology. It's real. It's not just a fact. It's not just a principle. It's real. He does real things. He communicates in real ways. He intervenes in real situations. He relates to real people. He serves for real. He forgives real sin. His promises are real. When we speak of seeing him, it's reality. Enjoying his goodness and favor. It's to sense God. Lastly, seeing God means the ultimate. And you notice Matthew has this future reality. They shall see. They shall see. There is a scene that we experience, Old Testament saints did, New Testament, oh, but there is a scene that is coming we all must look forward to. The requirement, beloved, is that you know Christ as your Savior and that you evidence that by pursuing purity in heart. The sin of God, who although spirit has this essential form of manifestation, will one day be consummation of the pure heart obtained through Christ. The full and beautiful, that is blissful, sublime, 
perfect vision of God is reserved for that time which the psalmist stretches his view in Psalm 17:15. And I in righteousness I shall see your face when I awake, I shall be satisfied with seeing your likeness. It is the scene we read and read of in Revelation. No longer will there be anything accursed. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. It is the one in John 3, 2. They shall see him as he is. Oh, but this thing in the language of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14, it must be a sin for those who are holy because without holiness you cannot see God. Those who are pure in heart are preparing themselves for the great spiritual sight, physical sight, the most fulfilling sight, the most favored sight, the sight of a heavenly, fantastic, delightfully holy vision of God. Will you be there with the saints? And according to Hebrews, holiness is an indispensable quality for such a vision of the Lord. Let me put it this way. If you say to yourself, you see God, but you do not pay attention to holiness, you are deceiving yourself. If you do want to see God, come to Christ, be justified, and begin to be made holy by Christ. Only then can you say you will see God. This therefore, beloved, is what we are looking forward to. I hope you are. I am looking forward to seeing God. The only way anyone can see God in this sense, in all the senses, and be with him for eternity, is to have established a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. This promise is given to the pure in heart, to those who evidence spirit of heart by the way they live and by devotion, by their devotion to the Lord. Peter writes, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earth life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Is that you? The Apostle Paul puts it this way, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve that what God's will is, good, pleasing, and perfect. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Blessed beloved are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Will you? Will you see him? You will if you are saved. If you are not, you will not. Shall we stand and sing together? There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. There is a place of comfort sweet. A place where our Savior meets.
There is a place of full release, a place where all is joy and peace, near to the heart of God. Are you there? Will you be there? Please do make things right that you may see God.